Really good to have Owen and Ben. So Owen is um, a pastor from Brixton, uh, leads uh, Beacon Church there, and uh, part of the the management team that makes New Day happen and stuff. So really, really good to have Owen and obviously Ben, who we're going to be hearing part of his story. So Owen's going to be kind of leading us through and interviewing Ben. So over to Owen. Thanks, Wayne. Um, it's a real privilege to uh, be here to interview Ben. Um, you're going to hear a bit about his story. I've known Ben for nearly uh, 20 years, and we'll look into uh, a little bit of just that background, how, how that kind of relationship came about. And, you know, 20 years later, we're, we're still mates, actually. We're still mates. And uh, I, we didn't just come together now. Uh, we actually do talk quite a lot. Um, but so, so the, the way this interview is going to go, I'm, I'm just going to start like right now with where we are at right now just just ask a couple of questions around that and then we're going to kind of go back and give some context I suppose to Ben and to that journey that's led to both the charity and the book and then we'll get into the book a little bit um, I mean I might as well say right up front that I just encourage you to buy the book yeah, so that's that's the real sort of simple sell. Um, if you want to know more about this issue, you, you probably need to read the book um, rather than just try and take piecemeal bits from what you can uh, understand. Um, my daughter bought the book and read it within two days, and so that probably tells you something about how you can get into it. And, in fact, it was after that that she read my book, so, you know... <laughs> Um, it's, that's really interesting. Uh, my, yeah, anyway, it's another story. Um, so, Ben, first question. It's, you know, if I think back just the last nine, ten months, yeah, um, you had, uh, you and Billy had a third child in November. Yeah. You launched a charity in January. Yeah. And you published a book in July. Okay, just, and you are um, one of the pastors at Emmanuel Church London and you're still doing that. It's not like you've stopped doing that. Uh, so you're preaching regularly. Just tell us how. <laughs> how? It's really helpful. Yesterday, um, somebody had a word for me. We were praying earlier on. Um, somebody asked the question of Spurgeon. Like, how do you do so much? And I think Spurgeon's response was, well, you realise there's four of us, um, meaning him, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And honestly, I think that's the best way for me to explain how I've managed to do all those things. So, yeah, my son, my third uh, child was born November the 30th. And then uh, December, we got confirmation that Power to Fight was going to be in a, a charity. So it was December the 12th. And then, yeah, we decided to launch January the 12th or something like that. Um, and it, all in that time, I had a deadline to write this book. So the deadline was actually December the 10th to get the, the first draft in, which I thought was, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's, that's that. And then the editing process comes back. So then I've got this editing process going on. And, um, yeah, it was a crazy time, but I felt very peaceful at the time. Um good friends of mine who've got three children said oh you know the third child will just slip in and I was like whatever but to be fair he's been an amazing blessing he has slept better than my other two kids and that's helped um, I think I've had a very and have a very understanding and wonderful wife it's actually been quite good that she's been on maternity leave as well so we haven't had to worry about 
work and, and stuff like that. Come September, that's all going to change. So she's been around a lot more. But God has just been incredible. I never, I never thought I would launch a charity up until two years ago. A charity wasn't on my mind. Writing a book wasn't something which I thought I'd ever do. Um, but here we are. So, yeah, that's a little bit about... Just observing that journey, because there were moments when, as I uh, just kind of watched you or chatted to you, and uh, I got tired just watching <laughs> the journey, um, I, I, I just saw grace on you. There was almost like this sense of call or, or, or grace to do this. Do, do you just want to say something about that? Just that, that it was more than just, um, you know, the, the practical things. There was something about what God was doing in you uh, to bring you to that place. Yeah. I, there's moments where you, I suppose if we take cricket, for example, and you, you hit the ball in the sweet spot, and you get a six and you're just like oh, that's incredible you've hit that ball you can hit it more sweetly and I think when it came to launching a charity and writing a book it just felt a lot easier than I expected it to be um, that's not to say that writing a book is easy and I'm writing about a subject which calls me nightmares at times but it just felt things just fell into place and God's grace when God breathes on something so even leading up to the charity, I was finding myself in conversations with people like Sadiq Khan, who I didn't know before uh, July last year, and doors were just opening where I was able to talk about this issue around youth violence in ways that I'd never done before. Uh, MPs just speaking on my, my behalf in Parliament and things like that, and it just was like one thing after another God was just opening doors and even with the book I wanted to do something which was a little bit different I read your book it was an amazing book Um, I wanted to try and get as many different voices as possible and even with that I was thinking gosh I don't know half the people I want to try and get involved but you know they're all human so let me just try and send them an email and and people have been really responsive and then even um, I think it was around March we got an endorsement from the Archbishop of Canterbury and I was like oh wow this has now gone somewhere which I wasn't expecting it's not like I've got his number it's not like he's a friend of mine or anything like that but it's just God it was just little moments where God was like I've got this I've got this I've got this you just obey and with both of those things they were both just whispers so it was a whisper so I don't know how other people hear from God some people hear, have those moments where it's like burning bush and all that type of thing that's never me it was more like just a whisper I care about the issue around youth violence I think you can do something about it um, I care about the issue of unity and inclusion in in the church. I want you to do something. It was just whispers, and sometimes that's all you you just go with it, and then it manifests into something a lot bigger. Okay, so um, th- that's kind of been your last seven, eight, n- nine months. Um, I, I want to go back a bit. Um, you were kind of born and raised in 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 the borough of Greenwich. So, so although you kind of, you're kind of a, a traitor to Greenwich, and you moved to Lewisham, um, and I think Greenwich people know that. Yeah, there's a people yeah. yeah, you even went to a Greenwich church and then went back to Lewisham. So, yeah, wow, wow. Um, so, uh, Ben, why don't you just say a little bit about that kind of upbringing? Um, it's 
for you, it's kind of uh, late 80s, early 90s, the 90s kind of time. Um, why don't you just say something about that? I love Greenwich, I love Lewisham, I love all boroughs of London and anything outside of London. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I grew up... Greenwich Borough, it was, a, it was an interesting time. Um, so I had a good childhood. Even though my parents divorced when I was seven... I, I, I had a happy childhood. I was a, I'm an only child, which some people would say I'm spoiled. I would like to qualify that as saying I was well-loved, but, you know, people go either way. Um, so I'd, like, it was a good upbringing, but there's always this backdrop of, of racism. And um, we can talk about racism as just name-calling, or we can look at it a little bit more structural. Um, but the type of racism I was experiencing and my friends were experiencing, which was in the news at the time, was life-threatening. And uh, we had National Front on our... On National Front is like, um, for those who don't know, far-right. Um, it's kind of turned into EDL and BNP and other... Uh, nationalistic parties, but we had those guys living on my road, <clears throat> which meant I'm, I'm walking up the road, aged eight or nine, and I'm hearing um, the N word thrown at me quite a lot. And we had uh, our windows broken, smashed. So that was going on. And then 1992, um, uh, a young man called Roland Adams was murdered in Thamesmead, uh, stabbed to death in a, in a racist attack. Then same year, I think a guy, an Asian guy called Rohit Dougal was killed in Eltham, and then Stephen Lawrence was murdered um, in 1993. And I was almost killed in a racist attack in January of 1993, so three months before Stephen Lawrence was murdered in the same borough and uh, a mile away from where he died. So this gives you an idea. I remember Charlton Athletic coming back to the valley uh, they'd been away for the valley and they came back and there was like tickets for anyone who lived in Greenwich Borough and I remember my mum going down to get tickets to Charlton um, and she was called the M-word lining up to get these tickets so this was something which is an everyday occurrence which was going on um, <clears throat> now interestingly what my parents then said to me was okay this is going on this is life threatening I want you to roll deep with your friends I want you to go in a group so you're, you don't feel um, under threat. Interestingly, nowadays, we look at that as being, oh, if you're rolling with a lot of a group of people, you're in a gang. But my experience is, well, I'm rolling deep with people because I just want to protect myself and feel protected. There's not that much difference, really, when you analyse it, of what's going on today. And sometimes I talk to uh, young people in school settings, and they cannot believe <coughs> the experiences that I had. So I had a kid come up to me recently in the school and said, oh, so, sir, are you honestly saying that when you walk down the street and you see someone who looks exactly like you, you're not thinking they're carrying a knife? I'm like, nah. And it, and it wasn't like that for you. And I said, no, I was more scared of white people, if I'm honest. And they couldn't get their head around it. And it just shows that how things have changed so much that our children, particularly in a, in a uh, London context, are f afraid that the, uh, the trauma young people are dealing with now. I never had to wake up every day thinking, if I get into a confrontation with someone, this might be the day I die. It wasn't that. If I get into a fight with someone, I might get a broken rib or a black eye or something, but I never thought 
this was the day I was going to die. You, we've got to understand that young people across the country are so afraid coming out. They'll pick up a knife in the same way they'll pick up. We will pick up our keys or, or phone. So this issue is really there in you. It, you know, it's helpful just to hear that kind of experience that you had. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, obviously, then in your in your late teens, I know you went to church. Your mum was a churchgoer. You went to church. Um, let's just fast forward a little bit to um, when you first came to Kings. Kind of when we first met um, on an Alpha course. Why don't you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Owen's scary guy. Um, so yeah, what happened was I. <laughs> I grew up in I, I did grow up in the church went to Baptist Church in Woolwich um, got 16 and basically got involved with music DJing and girls basically um, the two things which I didn't see in my church so I was like you know I'm going to find that somewhere else um, and then I went to uni and that just amplified even more um, I was DJing a lot and there was a lot more girls and then I got the end end of uni and um I just was like, oh, I'm I'm spent. What have I been doing for the last three years? Um, and three things happened. One, my grandma passed away. First person in for me, close who died. Uh, matriarch of the family impacted me hugely. Um, secondly, my dad uh, has always been in fashion and clothes and he was the first black person to have a boutique shop on King's Road in Chelsea in the 70s and 80s and the way that he would show love to me would just give me lots of clothes so I was the only kid at 11 and 12 who was wearing designer wear and was getting like 20 pound a week pocket money there's only so much panini stickers you can buy as a like an 11 year old and um so that was a bit weird but then he his business like he lost his business so materially and, and i had this kind of void and like this is what i'm about and then you go to selfridges and you're like oh i'll go and buy some versace jeans and oh no they cost 250 quid and i'm a student that's not going to work so i was lost i was broken and then the third thing i came out of university expecting a job and there wasn't one so i i just got depressed and um i drank a lot more and then january the 7th 2000 i'm in a bar and um, in South East London, in Lewisham, and uh, I meet a, a, a girl, and within three sentences she says to me, do you believe in God? Which is the weirdest chat line ever, and I was like, well, yeah, I'm a black man from South East London, of course I believe in God, you know, <laughs> standard. And um, she said, I don't know what I believe. Um, uh, her mum was a punk, they had a lot of spirituality, in in their up, in her upbringing, but she was drawn to church. She said, for some reason, I've been drawn to go to this Anglican church in Lewisham, never been there. So we just started a friendship. Then what happened was her mum was an RE teacher, but wasn't a Christian, so, you know, something to do with teaching. I don't know how that worked, but she, yes, she was walking through Catford and someone offered her an Alpha leaflet. So she thought she should go to the Alpha course just to learn more about Christianity. She goes there, she becomes a Christian. And my, 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 my then girlfriend, my now wife, but my then girlfriend was like, we should do this Alpha course. It's changed my mum. And I'm like, mm, 
what type of church is it? Oh, it's this church called King's Church, Catford. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, seems a little bit happy, clappy and weird to me. I'm not sure. Um, I went to a little Baptist church and I never even knew what the Holy Spirit was. And um, so I go, I, I, we, I did something which we always do in South London. You take back up everywhere you go if you don't, if you're not too sure. So I spoke to my friend Taj. I was like, oh, yeah. Billy wants us to do this weird thing. Are you going to come with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to roll deep with you. Don't worry, we'll go check it out. So I'm like, oh, cool. And um, we go there, and there's Smiley Owen. Hi! I'm like, who's this weird black dude smiling so much? And But we do it, and I think for the first time in my life, um, I realized that Jesus could be Lord and Savior for me personally. Um, I understood about grace. I was able to ask questions. I went back and forth with Owen, which was interesting. And um, I just, we came out of it. At the end of it, I was like, yeah, I, I know. My wife, well, not at the time, but my now wife, but Billy became a Christian. I became a Christian. My friend Taj became a Christian. All three of us got baptized on the same day, March the 21st, 2001. And that was that was the start of me just understanding Jesus and being in his presence in a way I never expected. It was a great story. I know it was a great story for the church. I remember that. And um, that that then led to, uh, I think, really, if I look back at it now, probably God doing a deeper work in you around under understanding what the church was for, uh, understanding what uh, what it meant to be a Christian, and that it didn't just mean that you went around calling yourself a Christian. There was something very different about that. Um, and I remember conversations that we had about the church. Can you remember those? I can remember a few. Though, yeah, it? yeah. Okay. Um, why don't you just say a little bit about how that journey, it doesn't need to be long, but just how that journey kind of uh, came on for you. Yeah, I mean, so I've come into, and like King's is an amazing church, but if you know anything about King's Church, London now, it's 1,500 people, 1,000 black people, 500 white people, roughly. But back in 2000, it was around 300 people. And Steve Tibbet, who is the pastor I've interviewed for the book, said there would have been around 40, 50 black people. So Lewisham Borough is a very hyper-diverse borough. It's one of the... Uh, it's got the highest rate of black Afro-Caribbean um, people in, in the UK. Is like, I think it goes up to 75% in the school system. So here's me going to Owen, like, I don't understand this church. This is like the whitest church in the blackest borough. I don't understand what is going on. And Owen being Owen's like, it will, it will change. But I'm like, change? How is this going to change? So that's some of the questions we'd have. And then... Um, the moment I became a Christian, God opened my eyes to some stuff which was going on locally, such as youth violence. So this was back in now, we're talking about 2002, 2003. Again, I'd go to Owen. Owen, do you know what's going on around you? Why is the church not doing anything? And Owen would always classically say, you know, well, you know, the, the local church is the, is the hope of the world and just be patient, something which I've got. Uh, yeah, I'm getting better but patience is not something I've got a lot of so I, I went off and done my own thing I'd be like well you're not going to do anything so I'm going to go and set up various things I'm going to go and engage with young people and when I think back while they were good things none of them lasted because you, you, I'd get tired I'd get weary and it wasn't earthed actually in church even though the people we were doing things with were Christians the, the foundations wasn't there but my frustration was if the church is not doing anything well I'm going to have to do something and then we so we we went back and forth and Owen is like 
he, he's um, in the book, I call him my mentor. He's a father figure, he's a friend. But those early days, you, I was probably more of a pain, wasn't I, Owen, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to expose you too much, Ben. Um, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, I, but I think if we just uh, move forward, because we're, we're here at New Day, and there was a point where you were invited to get involved in New Day. That's a polite way of putting it. Okay, so um, why don't you just, because this just brings some very current context to us, why don't you just say a little bit about how did you get involved in New Day and what did you begin to do? So I'm at King's now. I'm now part of, in 2007, I'm part of the, the youth. I'm just one of the leaders in the youth team. So I've, my first experience was 2007, which I think was Derby. I think we, I, you know, I'm going to say that maybe people here who's been around longer. I'm looking at Ben Rowe. 2007, Derby, yeah. So I'm there. We take, we take about 100 kids from, from Catford. A lot of them are black. And... Um, I've come to New Day and what I've realised is that the big top, there's a lot of white children in there engaging with Jesus and there's a lot of prayer and there's a lot of commissioning and there's a lot of the Holy Spirit impacting these kids and the majority of the black children were sitting outside of the big top, not engaging. And then there was like an urban tent and uh, there was a broken turntable playing uh, Eminem. So I'm like, nah, I'm I'm done. I'm not. I can't. I'm not engaging in this. So, and at the time, I was working for the Youth Offending Service in Lewisham. And 2007 was a very significant year in Lewisham Borough. Actually, across London, there was the first spike in in youth violence. So I'm dealing with young people dying, and I'm seeing young people come into New Day, and I'm thinking, this is where salvation, and this is where hope, and this is where impact's going to happen. But the very kids who are at most at risk are not being engaged with. So I'm like, I'm out. Then... Um, after New Day, I'll probably moan to you a lot and moan to everybody, uh, a woman called Jazz Potter approached me and said, you know, we've been thinking about doing something different and we'd want you involved. What do you think? And because I was a very cocky person, I was like, if we're going to do this, I want full control. Um, and I want no budget restrictions. <laughs> and weirdly, they agreed. And I was like, all right, cool. So we created this thing called a Ribbon Factory. And Ribbon, this was 10 years ago. And the, the idea for me with Ribbon Factory was just to create a space for uh, black kids. And I'm ashamed to say it now. I've, I fell into every stereotype. I was like, okay, I need somewhere where kids can dance and MC and learn graffiti and just feel... Um, like where there's space for them to express themselves. And none of that's wrong. And that's what we did. And the first year, uh, it was crazy. We, we got Governor B to come and we had gospel, like hip hop in, in the evening. When I was a bit younger, I could DJ and I DJed a bit. And then there was like all this type of stuff going on. And that was amazing. And we saw all these kids coming in and it was fantastic. But the problem was, these kids still were not really engaging in the, in, the, in the big top so it was a bit of a disconnect and that was going on well and then 2011 uh, when the UK riots happened I felt God say to me you can't just keep teaching kids how to kingdom skank no disrespect to Governor B he's a good friend of mine the kingdom skank is a great song but 
it was a moment where I was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? Because these kids are going back into their environment and they're not learning or being equipped about Jesus. So again, there was a moment, I'm done, I'm out. I said, oh, I can't do this anymore. Again, I was like, calm down, let's think about this. So then I, I was praying and I felt, what would happen if we could actually create seminars in the Rhythm Factory where we can actually engage with um, inner city youth, not just black kids, but inner city youth and their issues. So we started developing these seminars which really started talking about uh, youth violence, sex, porn, all this type of stuff which I knew was going on in the community but we just unpacked it and we got some really good speakers in and suddenly Rhythm Factory was changing, not just a space where people could dance and that was still there, that was a key element but we were also really tapping into some of these issues Um, and that was interesting because we started seeing delegates and I just was always like, if you're going to be a delegate one year and this is actually what you did to me I did Alpha and then you said within about six months lead an alpha table and I'm thinking are you mad like this is <laughs> I've just become a Christian but then I started seeing delegates and I was like well you can lead next year so we started creating this conveyor belt and actually people like Joe McNamara and Rebecca Walker who you're now seeing on the main stage they were in the rhythm factory like I'm going to take I'm going to claim this one actually <laughs> if it wasn't for us letting them do seminars here I'm pretty sure they would not have been noticed to be there and that's not me bigging myself up. That's just God allowing us to have the space to really develop people who wouldn't be seen normally. It's a shame we've only got one mic. Okay, give Van a round of applause for that. So you're now, we're, we're just walking this journey through. You're now beginning to engage with, um, uh, I suppose, New Day uh, and young people and young people from inner cities coming into a place like this we do that for a few years and then um in 2016 something happens Uh, i just want you to talk a little bit about that because i know that shifted some stuff for you um so you know we're at new day and some things happen why don't you just talk a bit about that well let me just i'll go back to april so in my life now, 2016, uh, we've decided at Emmanuel Church London to launch Emmanuel New Cross, um, and I'm going to lead that. So that's going to happen October 2016, at which point I'm thinking, all right, cool, I'm going to be the pastor now, whatever pastors do, you know, visit people, have rich tea biscuits, <laughs> you know, do all the holy stuff, and I thought, all right, let me put all the the youth violence bits and pieces to one side and then April the 3rd um, 2016 I am in on holiday in Shrewsbury because that's where my, my uh, mother-in-law's family are based and we're up there and um, I get a, a phone call and my wife is always like do not answer your phone when we're on holiday so I didn't answer it, it rang again I ignored it, then I got a text um, Ben uh call me, it's urgent and this is from my best friend a guy called Emmanuel who um, yeah, we've done a lot of youth stuff together and he, so I phoned him he's like, yeah, Myron's been stabbed Myron's dead um, and Myron's his stepson and Myron's somebody I knew since he was one, he died at 16 uh, 17 and he was murdered in New Cross so while I've seen young people 
unfortunately I've seen people being killed before in the work I do this was the first time that literally cradle to grave this is the first time where I've seen uh, death to conviction <clears throat> I've seen and we were involved heavily in helping the family and because of my standing within Lewisham Borough we were able to engage with MPs and borough commanders and all manner of things to really help the family but also help the case move faster so that's April still looking to launch in October in August we're here we're, we're in New Day and um, it was I can't remember what day it was now but it was toward, maybe it was like a Friday and um, my mum was a musician at his funeral his best friend Leonardo gave a eulogy and I'm never going to get used to 16 year olds giving eulogies for other 16 year olds it's something I will never get used to but he gave a eulogy August we're here, Leonardo is stabbed to death in Peckham. Now, it's interesting because we're in Norwich, but his death was caught on social media. His death was caught on Snapchat. Him being resuscitated was caught on Snapchat. You got maybe a thousand kids from London here who knew Myron and Leon because on YouTube they've got maybe over 250,000 hits. So when that Snapchat footage was, was, was filmed, it connected here. So suddenly you've got a thousand children all seeing this kid being resuscitated who they all knew. So we've got a safeguarding issue right here and uh, a trauma issue. Um, No, that's cool. No. So we had we had to deal with it. But the amazing thing was the way New Day, Joel, the leadership team here, pastored, ushered the the hurt and pain it was something I never expected. It was, it, was, it was beautiful, it was amazing, it was needed, it was radical solidarity. A thousand kids hurting, and it was just what I always wanted. And what we then saw was just children being cared for and prayed for in a way which was so needed, and it was a catalyst for the charity, it was a cat catalyst for people to understand that youth violence is something which isn't just a London thing, it's beyond that. And God cares about it. It was just, it was amazing, but it was a turning point. Stuff we've spoken about, it was like, oh, wow, people do care about this stuff. And it all changed. Nothing was the same. In a good way, nothing was the same. But yeah, I'm sorry. It was, um, it was three years ago. And as you know, when it continued. And okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, during this time, we had um, begun to bring young people from Brixton. So, uh, over a while, we had a, a great youth leader called Dave, who basically brought his tutor group from his school 
uh, to New Day. And, uh, um, yeah, they made a bit of an impact. They just, well, they, partly they kept winning the football tournaments, but um, that didn't help other people's feelings towards them. Um, uh, but also, uh, you know, they lived in this world. And l- last year was, it was almost quite a prophetic moment. If I, if I just explain it, and then if you want to comment. So, so last year on the Tuesday evening, um, Ben was talking to New Day about how the fight. And if you were here, you remember the video that, that was shown. And then off the back of the video, uh, basically everyone was standing and praying. And uh, I think Livy was leading us in prayer. Whilst that was happening... One of our guys from from the church in Brixton received a message to say that his friend had been killed right there at that point back in London. He had seen him two days before on the Sunday, and I remember him leaving the tent. And and now I'm I'm on the management team of New Day, uh, but I've also got a church where we're trying to pastor grief. Yeah. Actually, there was another guy who was with us whose friend had been killed the week before. So, so we're, we're, we're trying to pastor this group. We'd not been through that before. But obviously, one of the first people that not only I spoke to, but this guy from my church spoke to was you. And do you just want to say a little bit about what, what that was like and how that worked? Yeah, so like after Leon died in August... I'm now hypersensitive to the fact that like, if, you, if you look at um, trends of when young people are more likely to be killed, it is always during the summer holiday, it, it spikes, and there's reasons for that. Um, uh, there is no youth workers, there is no youth work austerity. 1.6 billion have come off local and central government over the last five years. So I'm now expecting... If I'm honest, I'm expecting my phone to go off this week. But that particular time in 2018, you know, this has happened and I speak to the young people who are connected. And um, it was weird, it was strange, but it was completely necessary to be able to father and support not just the young person who um, has lost a friend but also just in terms of youth leaders. So I remember coming and talking to your youth leaders about how do you actually engage when somebody loses a friend to to knife crime. And again, it was a very significant moment. As Owen said, you've got to understand, we're praying for Power to Fight. Power to Fight stands for empowering communities to end youth violence. We're praying, and at that exact moment, somebody is being stabbed in southeast London, and somebody knows that person here. It's almost like, right, God, we want to do something. It's happening in real time. Um... And yeah, it was it was crazy, but I there was hope in that because maybe once if this had happened five or six years ago, we would not have known how to handle this. So the fact that we were in this position where this had happened, and there was a really good safeguarding team, we'd had some conversations, gave me confidence that this place. I mean, you've got to understand. In the last ten years, we've gone through so much in trying to embed culture and give people the understanding that this isn't just a white middle class 
a festival um, that many different cultures are coming. So when something hits the fan like that, I'm actually, and because of what happened in 2016, where, you know, Joel and the team led prayer for, in front of seven, 8,000 people for Leon's murder, I knew that this was the best place. It couldn't have happened at a better place for this young person. And that says to me, to you and people like Ben Rowe and others, but it was a crazy moment, but it was an important one. Okay, so um, just now, um, th- you know, the, the, the charity gets launched. We've, we've kind of talked about what led up to that. So, we, and, and that has been, well, we, we heard on your little video yesterday, very successful. Things have been moving on that. Um, I, I'm kind of going to shift gear and move, and move towards the book. So, so obviously you're doing all of this stuff. Um, we have that experience at New Day 2018. The charity launches... And you're also busy writing a book. Um, and it's not unrelated, but it's not completely the same. Uh, because your book specifically is around um, the black person's experience in white majority churches. That's what your book's about. Yeah. And um, obviously that comes from somewhere, you know. That's not me that, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by that? Now... Remember, my number one advice is buy the book um, and read the book because it, it, it's, um, it's definitely worth that. It will open your eyes to stuff. And, but where does that come from and, and how's that coming out almost at the same time for you to be able to bring such a coherent message to that? Where, where's that coming from? Yeah, I think you said at the start, God has been incredibly gracious. So my experience is that I have grown up in a white majority church um, I spent 20 years in a white majority movement of churches um, I then now I'm, a, I'm one of the pastors of a white majority church so my experience is being black in, in, as a minority um, in that time I've had some frustrations um, I'm asking go home. really? <laughs> <laughs> Ben, you've had some frustrations. I've had some frustrations. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Why don't you just say a little bit about what, where, what those might be? Okay. Without ruining the book. The, um, no, I mean, okay, so uh, let's just take, for example, the lack of diversity of what I see in senior leadership teams uh, in churches where black people are. So I, I'm like... This doesn't make sense. Why are some senior leadership teams all white and there's loads of black people? What, suddenly we can't become leaders? I'm like, that's a frustration. I'm getting frustrated at how the Bible and the gospel is contextualized, particularly in hyper-diverse areas. I'm like, well, every example you're using is very white middle class. So how can I connect with that? So I'm seeing that. I'm having questions raised to me as a black Christian in my context where other black friends are like, Ben, I don't understand how you can be part of an institution which was complicit with the transatlantic slave trade. I don't know what your conversation is like, but those are the type of my conversations. And I'm like, whoa. Or I'm in the barbershop, because it's barbershops where you have a lot of these conversations. And normally in barbershops it's football, um, it's music, but we do get into religion. And you got... Muslims, you've got people, African spiritualists, you've got Rastafarians, you've got everybody, and they're looking at me like I'm 
I'm a traitor. So all this stuff, all this combination of stuff and other things, I was like, you know what? I've, this is killing me because God shows no partiality. That's what it says in Romans. All right? Um, Revelation 5 and 7 talking about every tribe, every tongue. And I'm like, okay, this can't be just some ideal we're looking towards. It has to play out in now real time. But some, there's a disconnect. So that's what I'm writing. And to be honest, um, I wish I could say it was a piece of cake. But I've got to April last year, and it was probably one of the darkest moments. And I'm going to be very honest with everybody here. When I started this process, I honestly didn't know if I was going to still be a Christian at the end of it. Because I knew I was going to have to explore some things which would determine whether I can actually be true to being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus Christ. Fortunately, my conclusion was actually, it's not God. It's not Jesus. It's humankind's interpretation of Christianity, which has caused the problem. Now, you might be like, duh. But I like, no, I needed to write almost 80,000 words to get to that point, um, and which is therapeutic, but also very dark. So I've got to April. Now, you got to understand, April last year was significant in the life of a black person. 70 years since Windrush, when Caribbean people were invited to the UK. Then it was 60 years since Enoch Powell's vile Rivers of Blood speech, which basically was just a, uh, a speech was saying that black people were going to take over and do lots of bad things. You should listen to it. And it was 25 years since Stephen Lawrence was murdered. So if you're black and you're from South East London in particular, it's a very significant time. Bear in mind, I'm, I, we've got all these things going on, and I'm writing a chapter on slavery, right? Now, my wife would come in from work, and I would be broken. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I writing this book? This is ridiculous. I went to a very dark place, but I always held on to hope, because I'm always like, if this thing is real, I've got, there's got to be truth. There's got to be something in this. So it was a, it was a mad process, but I'm really thankful for what has been produced at the end of it. I honestly think this can help everybody. It's hopeful. It's real. There's some shocking things in there. But we're still, and I say we, we're still standing and we're still hopeful. Okay. So just now, specifically for this um, audience, what, what, what uh, you know, people are going to be asking, okay, Ben, Where's the book going to take us? How's it going to help us? Can you just give some practical ways in which you think um, opening this up is going to really help the church and help local churches? It's going to give you an experience of, of, of black people, which some people have and some people don't. And what's really important to understand, I always say black people are not a monolith. So this is just my experience, right? Um, we have shared experience, but when you read Owen's book, it's very different to mine. You know, I always joke about that. I think in white mainstream culture, you can be anything you want. I was a white fireman. Okay, cool. There's a white lawyer. All right, cool. There's a white doctor. In mainstream culture, you can be any white dustbin man. You can be anything. Problem with when it comes to black people, we tend to get put into two categories. You're either Carlton from the Fresh Prince, which is like very acceptable to white majority culture, 
or you're Malcolm X, like radical. There's like nothing in between. You're not what I see. You're either like a politician who, you, who nobody really connects to or you're the criminal. It's like, there's, well, well, I'm neither. <laughs> so can I, tell, can I tell my story? So you're first and foremost going to get an experience of, of maybe um, one person's perspective on black people, which you might not know. But more practically, you're going to be able to understand racism. Now, some people look at racism as just straight up name-calling. It's a lot more than that. It's structural. It's unseen. If you're a white person here, you have to understand, while I would not dare to say that you're racist, I would say that you're part of a racist structure, which means that you have the ability to change and influence that structure. So please, let me say that again. You're not, I'm not saying that you are racist, but there are racist structures in this country which needs to be addressed. Once we address them, we start breaking down these structures, we can move forward. This book is about trying to bring us to unity, bring this to not just diversity, but inclusion and integration. Diversity is cool. We can put that on the website. We're diverse. And then get those stock pictures of the China man, the black man, the disabled person, the, you know, whoever. We get all that. We see that. I see these websites. I go to these black churches, a lot of black churches, and I see the website. I'm like, well, where's the white people there? Because you saw that on your website. It's another story. But the point is, if we're going to talk about unity and we're going to talk about integration, we've got to then talk about the elephants in the room and not be afraid to do it. And I think in the, in the past, we've been afraid to kind of have those honest conversations. So it's going to help you on that, on that level. I mean, I think per- personally where, where I think it will, will help is um, it allows, if you have, I suppose, black people in your congregation and they read the book, it gives them a context for conversation. It, do- it does do that. So though it's your story, it does create this context. Yeah. And I think what you'll find is at the end of the chapter, there's, there's questions. So there's questions which you'll be thinking, and you'll think, I can't dare ask that question to a black person. I can't dare have that conversation with my white members. I've put it there for you, so it's easy. You, got, you can just blame me. You know, Ben t- told me to ask this question. So I think it's helpful in that way for you to have... That's why it's called We Need to Talk About Race, because we often don't talk. We just assume, and there's, there's always weird perceptions. So, yeah. I think one of the other things that's that's helpful to point out about the book is it it does also bring some challenge to um, black folk in those kinds of churches as well. We probably don't want to unpack that fully, but it does bring that as well. And and you also talk about, although you talk about structures of racism, you talk also there's also this invisible, almost yes. side as well that you that you talk about. Okay, so we're, we're kind of coming to, uh, to, to the end because this is really um, just an opportunity for people to, to really get to know you. You're, you're a New Day guy. This is how I would put it. You, this, this is your home turf, if you like. This isn't the place where we're trying to you know, quiz you and all that kind of stuff. Although I'm sure you can come and ask Ben questions. Can they do that at the end if people want to do that? I'm, I'm sure that's fine. Um, just say, what, what is your hope? When you look at out here and, you know, you've got 100 people maybe here and they represent dozens of churches, just, just talk about your hope. Talk about what your, you know, what your hope is for the future for this. 
I think last night was a very significant moment. Um, so, ten years of Ribbon Factory, um, and what we saw yesterday was a really interesting expression of of the gospel and whether it was in the worship, whether it was TJ, whether it's Rebecca and Joe McNamara hosting, you've just seen uh, a, a pathway and a conveyor belt of, of people who have grown up in New Day leading on a main stage. So from a New Day perspective, as long as I said to Owen, I think I can happily die now, I'm happy. This is good, this has worked out well, but it's how you move forward. It's how you keep going. I want. I my hope for New Day is that we become the the best uh, festival, not just for a week, but across the year, in engaging with youth culture. Because we've got so many different experiences and expressions and expertise in the mix, so we are hitting the the issues which young people and families connected with certain big issues such as youth violence and whatever other stuff, they can come here knowing that even if it's for a week they're going to get the best pastoral care they're going to get people who really understand that's why I'm doing a uh, a seminar at 4pm today specifically on youth violence it's these types of things I know other festivals across the UK are not doing and there's something very unique here you're getting a proper representation of the UK when you, when, when you come to New Day so my hope that that continues going um, I, I hope that we continue this conveyor belt of young people who are in Christ and they're, they're coming up and they're leading in their own context um, I'm, I'm praying that this event goes from 7,000 to 70,000. Apparently, we've got the space to do it. So let's, I'm, I'm praying for that. I, I want that to happen. I want us to impact culture, not just for a week, but all year round. I, I, I know there are MPs and uh, in local, like central government decision makers who look at this. So when I talk to Zadiq Khan and I tell him about New Day, it blows his mind. He's a Muslim, but he understands the impact of the church. He says to me, I don't understand how you guys keep yo loads of hundreds of young kids across London on a Friday night and you not really have any problems. And I'm like, well, it's this guy called Jesus Christ which helps us out a bit. But that's maybe another time Sadiq will go for some food and have another conversation. But they are looking at this and thinking, how are we doing it? So the world are watching us. And therefore, we've got this amazing opportunity more than ever to show the light of Jesus Christ, like unadulterated, undiluted. It's wonderful to be. It's like, um, what a time to be alive, a time such as this. This is, this is it. And on Esther, it, I love the book of Esther because, and I've said this before, but the beautiful thing, Mordecai goes to Esther for help because she has the ear to the king. So guess what we've got? We have the ear to the king. And I've seen enough in the last six months to know that we can do anything. I'm just a kid from South East London. I I always look at myself like that. And yet in the last seven months, I've done things I never would have thought I could ever do. Not in my strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ. And I'm just that kid from South London. If I can do that, anybody can do it. So it's just an amazing time. Let's big up Ben, come on, let's give him a...
Okay, I mean, I, I would love us uh, to finish in prayer. Uh, I think it kind of lends itself to that. Um, obviously, Ben's around for the next few days, I mean, uh, and so you, I'm sure you can talk to him. Uh, I mean, there's some talk of him going into the bookshop this afternoon at 3, 3 p.m. if you want to buy a site and get a book signed there, 3 p.m. in the bookshop. Ben will be there. You can purchase a book. You can get it signed. And you can finish it before the week's out. Do you know what? Um, and then this afternoon, he's doing a, a Power the Fight workshop at four o'clock. And then tomorrow in here, and then tomorrow afternoon, there's also another Power the Fight workshop, very specifically around girls, women, and, and violence. And I definitely would encourage you to, to think about coming to that. Four o'clock here, that'll be some, some of the team. So why don't we, why don't we stand together? And uh, there, are just, there, are, there are two ways we're going to pray. The first is we're just, we're just going to call on God that he might, in his grace and his mercy, pour out his Holy Spirit into this issue in the church, the, the, this issue about race in the church, that the church might become this amazing example to the world of what happens when God is at work, when, when the kingdom of God comes and really impacts and, and kingdom culture takes place. So I, I want us to do that first. I just want us to really call out to God. You know, we haven't got long. Let's just, let's just cry out to him that he might fulfill every promise in scripture on this issue. So let's lift our voices and call out to God. Right at the end there, Ben just, he just threw out a couple of things, didn't he? he, he talk, he's talked about his book being um, endorsed by the Archbishop of Canterbury. I mean, the Church of England have really picked it up and they're running with it. He's talked about this relationship he's developing with Sadiq Khan and other people. Uh, we need to pray for him. <laughs> we need to pray that those, those conversations, those relationships that he's building um, become kingdom fruitful fruitful for the kingdom uh, and uh, maybe one or two can just come and gather around him but I, I just want us to really lift our voices and pray for Ben and pray for his um, just these relationships that he's developing that he's building uh, pray for him he's not ashamed of the gospel you pick that up um, pray for courage pray for wisdom pray for discernment let's lift our voices again let's all of us lift our voices and then uh, we'll just close our closing prayer Father, we are, we're just amazed at the way you work, Lord. We, uh, we can't even begin to understand how you have taken hold of this uh, young man, this man, and through many different experiences, you've brought him to this place where he is speaking uh, into government, where he's speaking into the city, uh, where you've just given him a voice. And Lord, he's not on his own. As he said, he's four. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with him in this work. And so, Father, we want to pray for Ben specifically. We want to pray your protection upon him. Lord, uh, I want to pray your protection upon him in social media. I want to pray your protection on him in his mind, oh God. I want to pray your protection on him in his family, Lord God, in his local church. I want to pray, protect him. Protect this man. Oh God, I ask. And Father, I want to pray that you will provide for him. You'll provide everything he needs. I want to pray, Father, that you will give him wisdom where he needs it. I want to pray for discernment. I want to pray, Father, you will get, continue to give him great favour in situations that he finds himself around this nation. Give him favour, oh God. I want to pray you give him courage. 
And Lord, I want to pray that your presence might go with him. That wherever he goes, he will carry something of the presence of God into every situation. Father, I want to pray that you will go ahead of him. Even as he spoke uh, about the doors that opened, the ways that were made clear. Father, that is your work. That's what you do. And so we want to pray, Father, that you will continue to open doors for Ben. Lord, I want to pray you will increase his influence. I want to pray that you will increase his profile. Uh, I want to pray, Father, that whatever the enemy might come to try and disrupt or distract, that you will keep that at bay and that you will send him forward. Lord, you fight his battles. We believe it. We believe you fight his battles. Lord, I want to thank you just for the way he's handled himself, even in recent days, the way that you have fought his battles and that you have given him that ability to, uh, uh, to be patient and wise and discerning in his dealing with all these things. Father, and I thank you, uh, Lord, I call it, he's, uh, Lord, yeah, he's South London. He's a New Day man. We can be proud of Ben as New Day, that this is coming out of us. This is an experience that we have had. And Lord, who knows where you're going to take it? Who knows what you're going to do with it? Uh, but Lord, we, we give it to you. We give this whole situation to you, this whole thing to you, that you might be glorified in all of this, that your kingdom might be extended through this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.